Well, good morning again, church. Glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, we are going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 10 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and the Coens brothers will bring you one. Revelation chapter 10. Thank you for praying for my uh, father-in-law. We went out to see how he was doing and uh, just his health because you really can't tell he's in California. And uh, we weren't sure if we were going to get a chance to later on. Who knows what's going to happen with our country. So we flew out and uh, spent a week with them, had a good time and helped them out. They uh, they love watching the Westerns. And so they were, I guess there's a network that's just, it's, it's the Western channel all the time. We, they call it the Cowboy Channel. And we've watched Bonanza and and the Virginian and the Rifleman and every single Western ever ever. It was good. I you know the plot's always the same though. You know what's going to happen each time, and the bad guy comes and shoots somebody, and that's it. Anyways, I know I got to thank you for praying for my trip. Revelation chapter ten. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write... But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, The mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. The title of my message this morning is Sweet and Sour Angel Food Cake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in this place. Holy Spirit, knowing you are here. And you are speaking and will speak to our hearts concerning things that we need to know, that we need to apply into our lives. Lord, give us open ears to receive all that you have for us today. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we can worship you freely in this place today. Lord, we pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you. They're not born again this morning. Lord, would you especially speak to their hearts. Help them to see their need for you and that they would turn from their sin and turn to you today. 
Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word, Lord. And just pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a story I heard about how one day the Lord decided to send one of his mighty angels to the earth to check how things were going with, with man. And, 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 and he had heard that man was getting pretty bad. Well, the mighty angel returned and said to the Lord, well, 90% of the people are really doing bad things, but there are 10% that are really doing good. Well, some time had passed and the Lord decided to check again. And so he sent another mighty angel to the earth. And when he returned, it was the same thing. He said some 90% of the people are still really doing bad, but there are still 10% that are really doing good. So the Lord decides that, that he really wanted to encourage those 10% that are really doing well. So he decided to send them an email to let them know and, and really encourage them. And do you know what that email said? You didn't get the email? Let that one sit in for a minute. As we pick up in Revelation chapter 10, we have this email, this revelation of how things are going to be on planet Earth just before the Lord returns. Remember the word revelation means the unveiling, the uncovering, the, the revealing of Jesus Christ. And if you've been with us two weeks ago, you're going to see really a big difference between what we looked at in chapter 9 and where we pick up here in chapter 10. Chapter 9, we saw the opening of the bottomless pit with the smoke and the stench coming out and followed by an army of locust-like demons who will sting people like scorpions but, but not kill them, just torment them. What a picture that was. These creatures, can you imagine coming to your front porch and, and knocking down your door, knocking on the window, just looking in your homes and, and be able to come in and, and sting you and wreak havoc upon the earth for five months but not kill you. But now in complete contrast of chapter 9, we have chapter 10 and heaven opening up and a mighty angel coming down. Now, in honor of Thanksgiving being last week, I thought about breaking this chapter down into three meals. Number one, angel food cake. Number two, mystery meat. And number three, a sweet and sour book. But it couldn't fit, so I had to change it a little bit. So we have number one, an angel who looks like Jesus. A mystery message that was sealed. And number three kind of stays the same. A sweet and sour book that was to be eaten. You see, we have seen in these last two chapters that we've looked at what's called the trumpet judgments. Particularly, we have looked at six of these judgments out of the seven. Now there's a pause, similar to back in chapter 7, where there was a pause and we were introduced to the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Well, here in chapter 10, chronologically, we're coming to the midpoint of the great tribulation period. And at this midpoint, there is this pause. There's, it's kind of like being in the eye of a storm. It's raging all around us and you get into the center. This is just this stillness, this calmness before it gets really bad. Now, when we get to the end of chapter 11, we'll see that seventh trumpet uh, blow, which will open up the final seven bowls of judgment, which will then mark the end of the great tribulation period. But here we have a pause and we're introduced to point number one, an angel who looks like Jesus. Now, as we've seen, if you've been with us from the beginning, angels have played a big part in every single chapter that we've looked at. In fact, right off the bat, 
chapter 1, we're told that the revelation of Jesus Christ that came to the Apostle John there on the island of Patmos came to him via an angel. Chapters 2 and 3, as Jesus addresses the message to the seven churches uh, of Asia Minor, he addresses them specifically to each one of the seven angels of the seven churches. Chapters 4 and 5, as the church is caught up into heaven, we saw the throne of God and we saw how that is surrounded by all sorts of angels. Chapter 6, in particular, we see the four living creatures, which are cherubim angels, and those, fair, uh, those four cherubim angels announce the four judgments, four sealed judgments. Chapter 7, we read about four mighty angels who were holding back the four winds of the earth. Then in chapters 8 and 9, there are seven angels standing around the presence of the Lord, probably archangels, who are now sounding forth the, the seven trumpet judgments that we've been looking at. Now we get to chapter 10, and we read about another mighty angel here in this chapter as well. Now, you know, as far as Christians go, we do know a little bit about angels from scriptures. We believe in angels. Maybe we don't think about them all that often, but we, we know that according to scripture, there are, are at least three angels that we know have names. There's Michael, there's Gabriel, and there's Lucifer, who's now a fallen angel. Michael, we know, he's the, he's the top dog. He's the top angel uh, as far as the angelic ranks go. He's Michael the archangel, very significant in Scripture. But then there's Gabriel, and, and uh, he's very important as, as well. And uh, Gabriel is a different, maybe a, a messenger-type angel, and we're going to look at more at him as we get into our Christmas studies this year. We know from God's Word that angels have different jobs different ministries. There are military angels. They're strong. They're, they're very skilled, so much so that, in fact, 186,000 Assyrian uh, uh, soldiers were killed in just one night by one angel, Second Kings 19.35. There are messenger angels, and these are so verbal and so violent that one wrestled with an evil adversary 21 days just to make sure that the message would get to Daniel uh, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. There are ministering angels, very compassionate, caring that one waits in the wings as Jesus was there in the garden uh, sweating great drops of, of blood uh, from his face. But then a, a ministering angel came to minister to him in Luke twenty two forty four. We remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and he fasted for 48 days and, and uh, the devil tempted him that after Jesus resisted, resisted the temptation, the angels came and ministered to him. Probably brought him some food. Some angel food cake. You knew that was coming. So they're interesting. You know, they're God's messengers. And oftentimes they serve the Lord by serving us, the church. By, by, by watching over us. God uses them to minister to the church. In fact, Hebrews 13.2 tells us, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. But they do a perfect job of glorifying the Lord and keeping the focus on God's message because they themselves, they're just God's messengers. Now, when we get to heaven, uh, angels are going to be everywhere. And, and they are, you know, are a big part of the ministry of the Lord and they play a prominent role in the time spoken of, again, as we pointed out in the book of Revelation. And that's what we're seeing in verses 1 through 3 here. An angel who looks like Jesus. Look at these first three verses. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun. 
and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book opened in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, this description of this angel sounds an awful lot like the description of Jesus Christ found in chapter 1. A face like the sun, a rainbow on his head, feet like pillars of fire, of a loud voice that, that roars. In fact, it looks so much like it. There, there are commentators that have said this is Jesus in the kind of a, a preview of coming attractions. And, and you may have the same opinion that this is speaking about Jesus. But I have found more that don't believe this is a description of Jesus Christ than those who do. And I find myself camped out with them. But let me say this. We're not to be dogmatic over this because this could very well be a description of Jesus. It's not worth dividing over. But let me give you four reasons why I I think it's an angel and not Jesus. Number one, John refers to this angel as an angel throughout this chapter. John says in verse 1 here, I see another mighty angel. He never calls him anything else but an angel. And we know that the word angel simply means the word messenger. And we know what an angel is. He's a messenger that carries out the message of God. Now, the Lord Jesus is not a messenger in that same sense. Yes, the Lord delivers messages, but he's not a messenger in the same way that angels are. Now, some say, well, this is Jesus in his pre-incarnate state uh, uh, the appearance of Christ, like in the Old Testament, when he was called the angel of the Lord. Well, yeah, that was a title given to him, but he was in his pre-incarnate state, that is, it took place prior to his birth. And that's only in the Old Testament. Everything in the New Testament, uh, you don't find uh, the Lord ever referred to as the angel of the Lord. In fact, all of the titles or designations of the Lord in the book of Revelation speak of his honor. It speaks of his, his deity. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, holy and true, who was and is and is to come. Jesus is never referred to really as being an angel. Second reason I believe that this is an angel and not Jesus is John writes again in verse 1 that he saw another mighty angel. Now, if we keep this in context, as we're moving from chapter to chapter, realize when this was written, there were not chapter breaks in, in, in it written in. And so this is just a continuation of what we previously looked at already. We've looked at the previous two chapters and have been reading about these mighty angels and some, you know, I suggest it might even be what is known as archangels. We look at them blowing these trumpets and the sixth angel blowing his trumpet last time. And so with the very next word, John says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. A Greek word for another means one, another of the same kind. It's like, you know, apples. You got a Granny Smith apple, you got a Golden Delicious, and then you got a, a Red Delicious. A Red Delicious is another of the same kind. It's not a, a banana or an orange. Clearly, in, in context, John is seeing another archangel here. And I think that's a pretty strong argument, in my opinion, on why this is an angel. Jesus was never an angel. He's God. He's the creator of angels. He's a creator of everything. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. So again, I believe what John is seeing is another angel, probably an archangel. And number three, 
We haven't gotten to verse 5 and 6 yet, but when we do, we'll see that this angel is raising his hands towards heaven and he's swearing an oath by the name of God who is in heaven, who is the creator. If this were Jesus, we wouldn't see Jesus doing this. We could certainly see an angel doing this, swearing by the name that is higher than his, the authority of God's name. But we know that Hebrews 6.13 reminds us that God swears by his own name because there's no greater name for God to swear by than his own name. Hebrews 6.13, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. But here we have this angel swearing by God the Creator who is in heaven. And in verse 6, he says, He swore by Him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it. One final point when it comes to this being an angel. Number four, the section of Scripture marks a midway point in the Great Tribulation period. When it comes to Bible prophecy, when it comes to the Lord's return to the earth, at no time do we have any indication that Christ is going to come midway through the tribulation and set his feet down upon the earth. We know that Jesus is going to come in the air to receive his church up to himself in the rapture of the church. And at the end of the seven-year tribulation, he will set his feet down upon the Mount of Olives. You see, that is what all the prophecies of Christ are about, mainly his second coming to the earth. So for those reasons, I believe that this is an angel. But again, let me say, there's good, solid Bible teachers that, that can make a strong case the other way. Now, there are those who say, well, if this is an angel, then why, even an arch, archangel, then why do we see so many similarities here like Jesus, if it's not Jesus? I mean, he's coming in, he's coming uh, with clothes with the clouds like God, there's a rainbow around his head, we read about a rainbow about around the throne of God. Well, some have suggested, and, and I agree, that the reason this angel looks like Jesus is because he spent time in the presence of Jesus. Like in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, speaking to the apostles uh, Peter and John, it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They, they saw the same boldness in Peter and John that they've seen in Jesus. Why? Because they hung out with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. Who do you hang out with? Whoever you hang out with, the more you hang out with them, the more you become like them. Maybe you begin to dress like them or talk like them and look like them. I was reminded uh, once at night from uh, one of the youth that we've known since he was little that I used to tell my boys when they were in their teens, and they were hanging out with the wrong crowd. If you hang out with trash, you begin to smell like trash. I don't remember saying that. He said I said it, but, but it's a good saying because it's true. Who you hang out with, you begin to take on their similarities. I find this especially true with the young people today. They, 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 they want to be individuals. They want to be different. Yet they all dress alike and look alike and they all talk alike. Listen, if you want to be more like Jesus, then spend more time with Jesus. It's really a principle found throughout all of Scripture. You become like the thing that you worship. Listen to Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. The psalmist writes, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. 
Now, this principle of becoming like what you worship is a great principle for us because we, as believers, we worship the Lord. And so, as a result, we are going to become more like Him. So, as we gather together here on Sunday mornings and we worship the Lord and we study God's Word, God is working in us to make ourselves more like Him. He's transforming us uh, to be more like Him, molding us and shaping us like clay so that our very hearts are for the things that He desires in our lives. His desires become our desires. And it happens more and more the more time we spend with Him. I think of Moses when he went up to Mount Sinai and he comes down after spending time with the Lord. His face was, was all glowing. And all Israel said, whoa, your face is glowing. They recognized my, Moses had been with the Lord in the presence of the Lord. Now, after a, a you know, few days, the glow on Moses' face began to fade away until he went back into the presence of the Lord again and it happened all over again. Listen, the same thing happens with us. You get up tomorrow morning, you spend time with the Lord and His Word, and off you go to work shining for Jesus. But then this world has a way of just taking that glow right out of you. Especially when you got to walk around with a mask on, it covers that glow. You know, that's a joke. But, but it's so important that we spend each and every day in God's Word and God's presence to get that glow back. Same reason why we have men's studies. Same reason why we have women's studies. Same reason why we have our Wednesday midweek studies here at the church. They're so necessary. I mean, we, as we gather, we're like coals in a fire. What happens when coals get right next to each other? They heat up. They, 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 they light up. And the flame gets brighter. But a coal left out on its own, it just turns coal. So when we come together like we are today, we brighten each other up so that when we leave this place, we leave shining for the Lord. So by Wednesday, we come in and we can be reignited. You know, I say this, yes, take precautions if you're, if you're sick, stay home, but, but, but only till you're better. Because even in this age of pandemics, we need, we must meet together. No matter what the government says, because God's word is greater than the government. And God's word says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I'm encouraging us. Let's keep meeting together. Someone put it this way. Remember the banana. When it left the bunch, it got skinned. (laughs) So again, (laughs) that is why I believe this angel looks like Jesus because he spent time in the presence of the Lord. He's becoming like the one he worships. Now, this description of this angel also shows us that this angel comes down with the authority of all of heaven behind him. God has given this angel authority much in the same way he's given us the authority to share the gospel, to lead people to Christ. God has given the authority to this angel, it says in verse 2, to put his feet down on the sea and on the land. Signifying what? Signifying this is a takeover. The world has been under the control of Satan, the God of this world, long enough. So the Lord is saying, I am done. I'm sending my messenger down. I'm putting my foot down. It is all over. Really, it's just a symbol of the final takeover of the planet. Mighty angel comes on the scene. This is it. This is the beginning of the end. Now This brings us to our next point, number two. Our mystery meet, or we'll call it a mystery message that was sealed. Now, maybe you guys don't know this. I like to go to First Watch. It's one of my 
favorite restaurants here in in, uh, in Springfield because they have a really good veggie burger. I, I say that because it doesn't taste like a veggie burger, but but uh, probably doesn't taste like a veggie burger because I put bacon on top of the veggie burger, and so <laughs> it kind of defeats the purpose. But it tastes really really good. <laughs> but what that meat is. I don't know. I don't know what really what it's made out of, you know. And that's kind of what we're seeing here, a mystery message that was sealed. Look at verses 4 through 7. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. John here, he hears the thunders, and he starts to write down what the seven thunders is saying. And he's told, stop, don't write it down. Now, this is kind of odd when you, when you think about it. Since the book of Revelation is called the unveiling, there's something here that's not getting unveiled. So what was it that was uttered? Well, I can tell you exactly what was uttered. I know it's been revealed to me. It's thunder. I just don't happen to speak thunder. So, uh, you know, I, I don't have the interpretation. Actually, whatever they said probably has to do with what was going to follow the judgments in the second half of the Great Tribulation period. Because John says, I was about to write. And, and John is functioning as a reporter, as a recorder here. And he's writing down what he sees and what he hears. So he's about to write. And John says, I heard a voice. But then he was told specifically not to write down what he had heard. Now, why John was not allowed to reveal this message to us is pure speculation. But I love speculating. So I'm going to give you four, four speculations. Number one, perhaps the utterances were too specific. Maybe the thunder goes and John was about to write and it was in the year 2023, three and a half years before Christ would have set his feet upon the earth. Oh, don't write that down. No man knows the day or the hour. <laughs> Can't write that down. Way too specific. Or it could have named people or places specifically. Again, it could be way too specific. Or it could be don't write this because it's just going to be misunderstood. Jesus knows <laughs> how slow we can be at learning things sometimes. And, and he's going, you know what? Never mind. They're just not going to get it. Leave this one alone. I think of when Philip said to the Lord in, in John 14, 8, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Have I been with you so long, Philip, that yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone that has seen me has seen the Father. And I can picture Jesus going, Oh, you know, you know one more time. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So perhaps what was said was not recorded because there would have been too much confusion over the years. And God is not the author of confusion, but of a peace and of a sound mind. Or perhaps the time was just not right. You know, there is something that God will reveal to us once we're safely tucked away in heaven. I think of Daniel. 
you know, some 600 years earlier from when Revelation was written, he was instructed to seal up the things that, that he had written, which were the prophecies revealed to Daniel in chapters 10 through 12, which really parallel to what we're reading about this morning. Daniel didn't understand what he was writing about, so he asked the angel, what does all this mean? And the angel said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Now, we know what it's all about because it has been revealed to us. We understand living in the end times. We can get this. Finally, it could be the reason it wasn't recorded for us to hear is because what they said was only for the apostle John to hear. It was just for him. See, there are times in our lives when the Lord will show us something from his word and it will really speak to our hearts. Perhaps it's a certain conviction. And I think we often view it as, oh, that person, they really need to hear this. John here says he heard a voice from heaven saying to me. In other words, speaking to him. Wasn't for everyone else at this time. And we need to realize there are things that the Lord is speaking to you individually, personally, and not to anyone else. Even at times, to, not to your spouse. That's one of the reasons why when I prepare to teach for Sunday morning or for Wednesday night, I pray, Lord, give me a gift of discernment. Lord, is this something you want me to share to the whole church or is this something that you know that I need to hear and I need to start applying in my life? See, I always get ministered to by the Scriptures and I always get challenged spiritually, but I'm constantly thinking, Lord, what do you have to say to your church, to we as a church, as a whole at Calvary? What is God's Word to us? But then I have to say, Lord, what is your word just to me on this? Now we know what was said in these thunders, or we don't know rather what was said in these thunders, and that has really bothered some people. I I, want to know. Listen, if you just trust what God's word says in Deuteronomy 29.29, it shouldn't bother you. We're told in Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. In other words, the things that he does reveal to us, we need to do. The things that we don't know, don't worry about. I love what Pastor John Corson points out in his commentary on this. He says there's three things not knowing does for us. Number one, it keeps us humble. Number two, it has a way of keeping us useful. And number three, not knowing keeps us seeking. I like that. Not knowing keeps us humble. When I start thinking, well, I have all the answers, I become prideful. I can become very self-sufficient. Listen, there are many things that we don't understand about God, about His Word, about the Trinity, about eternity, about God's foreknowledge, about God's sovereignty. But that's okay because it shows me that God is much bigger than I can figure out, that I can, can comprehend. When D.L. Moody was asked about a certain passage and and how to explain it, Moody simply replied, I don't. Well, how do you interpret it? He said, I don't. Well, do you understand it? No. (laughs) So what do you do with it? I just believe it. (laughs) I like that. David knew all about this when he wrote this in Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. 
No, babies, they, they cry for attention. They cry when they're hungry. They, they cry for that constant feeding and soothing. But the weaned child learns to trust mom to be fed at the right time. So too, David is saying, Lord, I don't know everything. This keeps me humble. And when I look at the certain things that are too awesome for me to understand, Lord, I'm not going to stress about it. I'm just going to trust you that you know that you're in control. So what I don't know, what I don't understand, keeps me humble. Number two, what I don't understand has a way of keeping me useful. I've always enjoyed the uh, story of George Washington Carver. He's got the, uh, the museum over there in Neosho, Missouri. Uh, he's a man deeply committed to Jesus Christ. Uh, the story goes that one day he asked God to help him understand some of the mysteries of the universe. But there was no response. So I thought, well, maybe I'm asking for something too big. And so he thought, Lord, just show me the mysteries of the earth. He prayed. Still no response. And he said, Lord... Show me something about our bodies, he prayed, and still no avail. Finally, he said, Lord, just show me something about a peanut. <laughs> That's it. And he writes that he experienced this strange sense of God's presence. So George Washington Carver began to study the peanut, which up to that time was thought to be a fairly useless commodity. George Washington Carver, uh, God used to invent up to 300 uses for peanuts. He invented more uses for soybeans, pecans, and sweet potatoes and their countless, countless products we all enjoy today that come to us by the way of George Washington Carver. Only three patents were ever issued to him, but among his listed discoveries are adhesives, axle grease, bleach, buttermilk, chili sauce, fuel briquettes, ink, instant coffee, linoleum, mayonnaise, meat tenderizer, metal polish, paper, plastic, pavement, shaving cream, shoe polish, synthetic rubber, talcum powder, and wood stain. But if you go to the encyclopedia, you'll find no reference to the most important aspect of his life, how his faith in God inspired his creativity. Carver once said, I didn't make these discoveries. God has only worked through me to reveal to his children some of his wonderful providence. I like that. So, not understanding keeps us humble. It keeps us useful. And it keeps us seeking. Again, I love the story of George Washington Carver. Lord, I don't understand the universe. Lord, I don't understand the mysteries of the earth. But as we keep seeking the Lord... He gives you some insight, a little insight of what you can understand that will have a major impact in life and those around you. That's why Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7, to seek the Lord, it says, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon you know, so often we don't understand what the Lord is doing. We ask, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on in the world? What's going on? Knowing well and good that if the Lord did explain it to us, it wouldn't make any sense. You know, as we listened to Billy Graham two weeks ago, quote Habakkuk 1 verse 5, where God says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though or told you. Isaiah continues that same thought in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
God is working. God is moving right now in our country politically, presently. And we may not understand what's going on, but, but you know what? God does. And He's in control. And we may not always have an understanding this side of heaven. In fact, Proverbs 3, verse 5 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. You know, you won't find a single verse in Scripture which promises us that we'll understand. I mean, the closest we'll get is when Paul tells us once we're in heaven, then we'll understand, then we'll know the things that, that we could never know here on earth. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. But this is what we do know. John is told in verse 7 that there should be delay no longer. The mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. In other words, the Lord's saying, we're bringing this to an end. It, we're, we're closing down all the prophecies that the end time prophets spoke of all leading to this day of the Lord is about to be fulfilled as the final judgments come upon this earth and God destroys the sinners and establishes His righteous kingdom upon the earth. The delay is no longer. Now to some, that's horrible news. To others, that's great news. And this brings us to our final point, the sweet and sour book that was to be eaten. Look at verses 8 through 11. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about the many people's nations' tongues, and kings. You might say this message is all about food this morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever eaten something that was sweet going down, but afterwards it made you sick? Let me restate the question. Did you finish off half the pecan pie and it was sweet going down? But then about five minutes you asked yourself, why did I eat the rest of that pecan pie? Well, this little book is the same. What does this represent? Well, it represents the Word of God to us. This message that we believe, it's sweet to us, but it can be bitter to others. For us to, to have a Bible study, it's like a feast. Man, I, I love it. For someone else, it's misery, it's torment. They don't like it. You know, there are several places found in the Word of God where, where it's likened to, to food. We, we are to assimilate it. We're to digest it. We're to get it into our very souls. As Jeremiah said in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Psalm 19, 9 and 10 tells us, The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and a honeycomb. Even Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See here, John is instructed in verse 9 to take and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Again, this graphically pictures us taking in the Word of God. It is a bittersweet experience. God works this way in our lives. It is our spiritual food and it also has a sweet and sour effect on our lives. 
know, some parts of God's word is like, like, like picking a fresh fig off of a tree, which I was able to do this last week. It was wonderful. But then some parts are, are just like lima beans. I mean, what good are lima beans? You can't stand lima beans. Even though they're good for you, it's just hard to swallow. The book of Hebrews, man, the book of Romans, man, it's like a steak dinner. It, it's meaty. Then Ephesians, man, it's like pizza. I mean, you know, you, you, you got your favorite toppings of it, your favorite topics on there, you know, like Canadian bacon. Ephesians 2, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works as any man should boast. That's sweet. Like pineapple on your pizza. Ephesians 1, we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Then there's the Psalms. Oh man, those, those are sweet. Psalms are like chocolate because what is chocolate? It's a comfort food, right? I'm depressed, I need chocolate. No, you need the Psalms. 102 times the word blessed is used in the book of Psalms. The Lord lives, blessed be my rock, Psalm 18. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, Psalm 94, 12. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit, Psalm 32, 2. Blessed, sweetness, we are saved. Our sins are not held against us any longer through Jesus Christ. Man, those are sweet verses. We like to, to read it. That brings comfort. We say, preacher, brother, I like those verses. That's what I want to hear. Sadly, some preachers, that's all you do hear about the sweet verses of the love of God, about the things that are nice and fine and sweet and good. But they're not giving you the whole counsel of God. They're not preparing for you a seven-course meal, only desserts, and you'll never grow. You'll be malnourished uh, in the Word of God. Because there are verses that we need just as much, if not more, that can actually taste bitter going down and can rub us the wrong way. Why? Because they bring conviction to our hearts. Wives, submit to you husbands. Oh, Brussels sprouts. Not good. I don't want to eat Brussels sprouts. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, lima beans. Well, I won't eat my lima beans until she eats her Brussels sprouts. Well, I won't eat my Brussels sprouts until she eats her lima beans. No, you both need to eat your vegetables, okay? They're good for you. They're good for your marriage. Do what the Word of God says. Take it in. Sometimes I think we, we listen to sermons and we go, oh, that doesn't pertain to me. That doesn't pertain to me either. And all of a sudden, something comes out and you go, ooh, that one hurts. <laughs> Busted. That one's, that's a little hard to take. Because there are times we were hearing things that we just don't want to hear. And we start maybe thinking about other things. Why? Because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God is saying, man, it's time to make a change. Time, time, time to, to, to move out and do something different here. It's sour to the taste. But if we listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit instead of resisting it, when the Word of God comes into our house that was bitter, it will be sweet in our lives because it will transform our very lives. In fact, it produces more fruit, more nourishment in our lives. So as we close, the book of Revelation is both a bitter and a sweet book. And, and, and that's what the Lord is showing John in these last few verses here. When we read about the Lord's return and we read about the rapture of the church, man, that's sweet. We read about the seven-year great tribulation period and we know that we are not going to be a part of that. That's wonderful. We're not appointed to wrath but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is nice. But then the bitterness comes in. 
Because we all know people. We know family members who have not committed their hearts and life to Jesus Christ. And we read of these judgments and we read of the, the, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and we'll read of the, the bowl judgments, God's wrath being poured out upon those who reject us on Jesus Christ. And we know if the rapture of the church were to take place today, this moment, that there are those that we love very dearly that will be left behind to face these things. Now I don't say this to bring guilt upon ourselves, you know, just, uh, just only to say that sometimes as God's word goes forth, it does bring forth a point where we realize that, that it may be a bitter pill to swallow, that, that maybe we're not sharing our faith as much as we should be. We're not stepping out of our comfort zones to share the gospel like we should be. Oh, we need to pray. Lord, give me a hunger for the lost. Lord, use me to be an example of what it means to be a follower. Lord, help me to live for you. God, grant me this week the opportunity to invite at least one person to church this coming Sunday. Lord, it would be really sweet if I could lead someone to you this week. You see, that's why John here is being told in verse 11, you must prophesy again about many people's nations, tongues, and kings. I'm sure John's seeing these things going, I'm ready, Lord. I want to be home with you. I'm ready to be with you. I'm ready to get off this earth. And That's okay. I had to eat this. It was bitter. But let's just, I want to be with you. And the Lord said, no, you must prophesy again about many people's nations, tongues, and kings. The word prophecy or prophesy actually means to speak forth God's word of truth. John is being told that he needs to continue to warn men about the bitter judgment and the seventh trumpet and the seven bowls that were about to happen. Warning peoples and nations and, and, and tongues before it's too late. Listen, now is a time, folks, like never before to let people know that Jesus is coming soon. He'll be here soon. They better get ready. I want to close with this story. Sunday night, October 8th, 1871, D.L. Moody preached to the largest congregation he's ever addressed in Chicago. His text was, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? At the close of his sermon, he said, I wish that you would take this text home with you and turn it over in your minds during the week. And next Sabbath, next Sunday, we will come to Calvary and the cross and we will decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. Then the worship leader sank and began to sing this hymn. Today the Savior calls for refuge fly. The storm of justice falls and death is nigh. But the hymn was never finished. For while Sankey was singing, there was the rush and roar of fire engines on the street outside. And before morning, Chicago lay in ashes. Moody, to his dying day, was full of regret that he had not told his congregation, rather that he told his congregation to wait to the next Sabbath to decide what to do with Jesus. He says, I've never since dared to give an audience a week to think of their salvation. He says, if they were lost, they might rise up in judgment against me. I've never seen that congregation since. I will never meet those people until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you of one lesson that I learned that night, which I've never forgotten, and that is this. When I preach to press Christ upon the people, I will write then and there try to bring them to a decision on the spot. I would rather have my right hand cut off than to give an audience a week now to decide what to do with Jesus. I read that and I think maybe this morning there's people that we need to send an email to. There's, there's people we need to phone. There's people we need to text and share with them. Maybe even a handwritten letter. 
tell them the hope we have in Jesus Christ, even if they reject it, even if they turn away from you. I encourage that there should be delay no longer. Judgment will come. God's word says so. We need to get the warning out. Finally, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, don't. I'm, I'm presenting with you the message. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. Don't stop. Don't turn away. Don't walk out those doors without giving your life to Christ. He loves you. He went to the cross for you. Died for every sin you've ever committed. And all you have to do is repent of your sin. Turn to Him. He'll forgive you. Fill you with His Spirit. Save you from the wrath to come. And reserve a place for you in heaven. Man, what a win-win deal. So... As soon as service is over, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, please come up to me and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for just this opportunity that you've given us to gather together, to study it. Lord, it is sweet going down, Lord, because we, we see your love for us. We see our salvation. We see the grace you've given to us, Lord. We see the power that, that you have, that you are in control, Lord, that you are sovereign. But, Lord, there is a bitterness, there is a, a, a sourness to it, knowing, Lord, that there are those that we love that don't know you. There are those that, that, that we hold dear to our hearts, that if we were to be taken from this world in the rapture of the church, that they would be left behind. Father, we pray for an infilling of your Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, that you told your disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them to be a witness both in Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit now. Empower us, Lord. Come upon us to be that witness in Springfield and Nixon, Ozark and Republic and the outer parts of the earth, Lord. Ava and uh, those places, Lord, that are out there. Lord, we want to be that witness to you, Lord. Lord, give us those opportunities, divine appointments, Lord. Bring people in our lives that we might invite them to church. And finally, Lord, if there's anyone here that, that they don't know you, they don't know what it means to have their sin forgiven, Lord, specifically touch their heart. Help them not to leave here without making that commitment to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.